Podcast One. How's this for a business journey? Ex-TV sports reporter turned radio DJ, turned rugby league CEO, turned small business owner, Justin Vivers, no, not Justin Bieber, Justin Vivers, joins us to share how he almost lost it all from a failed franchise system and how he's gone on to create a business that's thriving in these infected times. It's a curious episode 535 of the 11-year-old award-winning small business Big Marketing Podcast. Yeah, I say, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing mayhem. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You are infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner who is well and truly ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly why this podcast exists. So if you love it, hit the subscribe button right now, like right now, pause and hit subscribe and never miss another episode. In fact, I don't even think you need to hit pause. And if your marketing appetite is insatiable, which I hope it is, then grab a copy of my popular book, The Boomerang Effect, that shows how being helpful in your marketing returns you more customers and makes you more money. Ka-ching! Grab it over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Okay, let's meet Justin Vivers. Now, Justin and his wife own the Branding Office, which is a promotional merchandise business with two showrooms on the Sunshine Coast. That alone is interesting. We'll find out why he has two showrooms. We'll find out why he has one very shortly. Now, his business has had a pretty damn good year, given what all of us have been through, but it hasn't been all smooth sailing for young Justin, as only a few years back, he survived a failed franchise system, which cost him dearly, like lots of dough and lots of pain and heartache and all that. And yes, we do talk about that. Leading up to starting his own business, Justin had a very colourful career working for the man, including 12 years as a TV sports presenter, 20 years on radio, two years as an agent from MotoGP rider, and four years as the CEO of a rugby league club. Boy, oh boy, has he escaped a few cubicles. So, of course, I started off by asking Justin what made him decide to start his own business. It was a bit of a journey, to be honest. The Channel 7 thing, I I ran out of gas on that. That was, you know, 12 years and I'd had enough. So I sort of, an opportunity came along and I said yes to that and then another opportunity came along and I said yes to that. And it led to a point where the next thing was to do your own business. And and I think that's, we'd had, you know, some small businesses along the way, so I'd had my toe in the water with it. But then the opportunity came to do this and and that sort of, um, you know, was the full hog we were in, you know, warts and all for that one. So are you a yes man? Opportunity comes along, say yes. Glass half full, more to the point. Yeah, look, I'm a big believer that we're put on this earth to say yes to things, and sometimes that gets you in trouble. But I think when something is put in front of you, the answer should be yes. You take on those uh, those challenges, and you never know where they're going to lead you and, uh, and the opportunities they're going to present. So eight years ago, you bought a promotional items franchise off a mate. What was the appeal of that? That's your, that's your foray into small business. So what was the appeal, and more importantly, how did it go? 
he had a successful business. So I guess the appeal was we had looked at lots of businesses, looked at some franchises. He wanted to franchise. We knew the success of the business. We knew the history of the business. We'd actually used the business. So we had a fairly good understanding of it. So it ticked lots of boxes in that regard. He was my best mate. You know, let's go and do this together. That was sort of the attitude. Uh, look, it didn't turn out that way in essence it was a you know a bit of a roller coaster horror ride but um, before you tell us about that horror ride going into or buying a franchise from your best mate sounds good in theory because you know that person inside and out probably means you can have it's easier to have honest conversations with them but on reflection it, is it a stupid thing to do even though it actually didn't work but putting that aside was it the wrong thing to do? Look, I answer that by saying you should be able to go into business with your best mate. I, I don't, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't go into business with friends, but you should be able to do that. Look, it just didn't work out in the sense that he was a great businessman, but that doesn't make you a great franchisor. And so there were just competing um, ideas, I guess, about how it would work. I mean, there was a period there where it was great and then it got more difficult. And I guess that that founder's syndrome sort of kicks in and um, there were lots of what's little that? things. What's, found, what's founder's syndrome? Well, it's my business. Um, you know, this is how we're going to do it. It's my business. And I think a franchisor needs to be a little bit more open-minded and, you know, open to, to change, particularly a, a startup franchise because a successful business is one thing, but a successful franchise is a totally different beast. So, um, look, you know, I'm really smart in hindsight. Oh, yeah, hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? I would argue that if it's a franchise, though, they really need to go, well, you're buying the, the systems and the processes and the brands, all the work's been done. So as a franchisee, being devil's advocate here, uh, you know, the franchisor could say, well, hang on, just be quiet. I've got this. You've paid me to get this. Now let me show you how to do it. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a fair point. That We signed up for it and that's what you sign up for as a franchisee. I guess when things aren't in place and the, and the franchise is meant to be building, that's, I guess, where it sort of falls down. If, you know, well, this is how it's going to be, but it's not quite a franchise system yet. We haven't built, you know, procedures and policies and the back-end systems and those sorts of things. When they don't start to come online or when they do come online and they're not up to scratch, that's when you get those really, you know, conflicting issues well, this is what we've got for you and that's it. And it's sort of like, well, it's sort of not what we signed up for. So, look, it, it, it added a whole heap of new dimensions to the relationship, that's for sure. And we're not best friends anymore, obviously, but, you know, that, that, that's just life and that's the journey we've been on. It was a simple promotional items franchise. Tell us about the moment you felt things for the very first time weren't going too well. Uh, it was probably uh, maybe a year and a half, two years in, there were a couple of other franchisees that had signed up doing the budget one day and I had a phone call from one of the other franchisees and he, he just said to me, I, I can't get this to work. And I said, well, I'm actually doing our budget. And I said, I can't either. I said, but look, don't worry. I'll have a talk to the franchisor. And, you know, we need, I think we all need to sort of sit down and have a bit of an understanding of what's going wrong with these figures. And that conversation was an hour long and really, felt like I was sort of building my head up against a brick wall. And that's when I thought, nah, this is going to be a journey. But that was, I mean, two years in and we lasted five in the franchise. So we, it's not Wow, as- so from the moment you felt things weren't good to the moment that you accepted things weren't good, it's like, it sounds like there was like three years. You just yeah, kept, there was. There was. I, I think in your words, before we hit record, you were bouncing along the bottom. We were. 
and that's the best way to put it. You'd have your little wins and you'd think, here we go. Uh, and then reality would, you know, set in and, and, you know, you'd sort of have to look yourself in the mirror and go, we're not going to make this work the way we are. It was actually a phone call from my accountant that said, listen, you know, you've got to do something about this because in five years you're going to be in the exact same position. Um, and that was the point where we went, okay, you know, we've, you know, and look, you don't want to, I'm a big one on not checking out on the business, you know, to, to go through what we went through and not check out and, and, and keep, um, keep the business and the wheels moving takes a lot of energy. So you don't sort of want to go there. You don't want to go and have to go through that procedure of getting out because it's not fun. It was probably the worst six months of our life, to be honest. Was it? Yeah. How low to get? Oh, um, you know, the, the day we went to mediation, I remember coming home that day thinking this is this is horrible. You know, it was gut-wrenching sort of stuff because you, we owned the building, um, we'd put five years into the business and we didn't want to hand it all over. We didn't want to walk away. We knew we had something there. And, yeah, you sort of feel it, you know, you feel a bit helpless and it, it's a terrible feeling. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Do you mind if I ask how much you walked away from or what you walked away from? Well, in the end, we actually didn't walk away from too much. We lost a bit of bark would be the best way to put it, but we got a to bit, keep our database. Yeah, it's our, um, it's our university degree in our late 40s, my wife and I put it down to. So um, so we were able to get out. We got out with our um, basically with our entire business and a couple of little restraints for a period of time, and then we were basically just an independent operator and, and off we went. So, um, you know, it was... In that process, the, the, the original franchisor had sold, new franchisors had come in, we gave them an opportunity, could tell it was just not going to get any better and that's when we, we sort of made the move. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it was probably a three-month period from start to finish during that process of getting out and that for six to eight weeks it was horrible and then for a couple of weeks it felt like you were going okay and the day we got out it was like winning the lotto, to be honest. What advice do you have for those listening who may be considering getting into a franchise, buying a franchise? My feeling on franchising is that, you know, lots of people have made money out of franchising, lots of money. So I'm not, um, I'm not here to kibosh franchising. I, I mean, I've, I've got some rules around how I want to operate or, you know, what I see with franchising. And if, if you don't hang the shingle up and that doesn't drive people to the business or that there's a special product or some sort of back-end system that helps you drive sales, you know, every month when you write that royalty check, it's going to kill you. If the business is based truly on you, it, franchising is not the way to go. Um, you know, if you're offered buying power, make sure that that goes to your bottom line, that it's not eaten up in costs and those sorts of things. Get the best figures of the, the best franchise, get the average figures of the average franchise and get the worst figures of, an, of the worst franchise and ask why those figures are like that. You know, reverse engineer, start with a figure at the bottom and work backwards. Well, we never did all those things. We sort of went, oh yeah, well, we understand the business and looked at the figures and, oh, that'll all work. But when we actually got into it, you know, buying power was one of the things we were sold on. Well, we don't have fixed pricing in our game. So buying power is just passed on to the customer. It just allows you to build more customers, but it doesn't change your bottom line at all. So, you know, those sorts of things, make sure that the franchise actually drives the business, not you, because as I said, every month when you write that check and if it's totally reliant on you, it, it's like a stone in your, in your shoe. You just can't get away from it. It drives you insane. So here's what I think is impressive. As being a glass half full kind of guy, Justin, three years ago, you opened up the branding office, which is your current business, which we're here to talk about, uh, which is still in the merchandise industry. So you clearly saw something in the industry that you liked 
uh, and you've, you've gone and started your own business within it. No franchise, no licensing agreement. It's 100% yours. What did you see in an industry, which we're going to have a chat about my thoughts on the industry later, he says with a wry smile on his face. Um, what did you see in an industry that seems to be a bit me too? Uh, we, we just loved it. I mean, we were dealing with uh, a lot of really like-minded people, certainly a lot of people that are dealt with sort of through our media career and, you know, sports career and, and, and contacts. So we were dealing with a lot of the same people just on the other side of the fence. It's, it's a fun business. You know, it's not, you know, rocket science and it's, you know, no one dies doing our business. You know, like it's fun. It's people that come into our business are normally really proactive about their business. So you're dealing with people that are like-minded. We know that the business that we bought into had been a really successful business, so we knew that run correctly we could make a go of it. Um, So as I said, the moment we got out and we were able to be independent, it was like winning lotto because all of a sudden we went, okay, now we've got a free air. We can do what we like with this business. We can mould it how we want to mould it and take it in the direction we want to take it. But the the basis of it is we just loved it. It was a fun business and it still is a fun business. Were some of the ideas that you had that you were sharing with your franchise or that he wouldn't implement, you're now implementing in your own business. Yeah. Were they good ideas? You've now proven them. Are they, were they good? Have they worked? Y- yes, yeah. I mean, um, like certainly what? around uh, software is one of them. I mean, I, we had a, you know, a real battle with software and what's available in the marketplace to help you run your business that we just couldn't get implemented. Now, we went and did our own, I guess, semi-bespoke system that, you know, has automated follow-ups, um, you know, automated, you know, production notices to clients, automated review emails to clients. All those sorts of things have made us a more professional business. And we couldn't do that in the in the old business. I mean, one of the things about being, I guess, in business is that you need to be fluid. You need to be able to move. If a decision doesn't work, you need to be able to stop and change. And in franchise world, that's really difficult. It's hard to pull the boat up. You know, and we've made lots of wrong decisions, don't get me wrong. But if you make that wrong decision, at least you can stop, pull yourself up and then go in another direction. But certainly around software, is that was a, a major one for us. What's the worst decision you've made since running your own show? You know, the worst decisions normally are when you decide, if something goes wrong, we've had a couple of jobs, you know, big jobs go wrong and you make the decision to fix them and they cost you lots of money and you don't get that back from the client. And you think to yourself, maybe I should have just taken my losses there you know we did it for a major client that was it was a big fix it was about a twelve thousand dollar fix and we ended up losing the gig off them in the in the long run anyhow and it's sort of like ah you know i mean i guess they're the ones that hurt where you go yeah silly me but you know you try and do the right thing by people all the time so you go and start the branding office uh, as your own business with your wife um you've got all the experience from having a franchise in the same industry was it therefore a lot easier to get off the ground? Were there growing pains or did you hit the ground running? Well, I was a bit naive. I thought, well, we've been in business five years. Um, you know, we were based in Noosa, which is, a, you know, a small community on the Sunshine Coast that we've lived on for 20-odd years. So I sort of thought that we would hit the ground running uh, as the branding office. And we did to a certain degree. But what I didn't realise was the brand starting afresh. I didn't realise the journey that we would have to go on again with a, with a fresh brand. You know, every time you'd look around, you'd see your old brand on something that you'd sponsored or, you know, some collateral that you'd done and you'd go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll 
got to go and redo that with them or change that to get this new brand out there. So I was really naive in that regard. It was only probably a year into the journey where I went, and I sort of cut myself a bit of slack, to be honest. I said, you know, look, we're a year into this. You, you, we're not six years in, we're a year in. So yeah, we had learnings and we had understandings of how we wanted to take the business forward. And I'm sure we had a database and we had a platform to launch off that we didn't when we originally started. So that was all good. But as far as the brand goes, we were starting totally afresh. And that was a big learning for me. I just didn't see that coming. In terms of that, so when you buy a franchise, the whole branding, the visual branding, the emotional branding, every part of the branding is delivered to you on a platter. You've had to create something from scratch. Was that difficult? Yeah, it was to a certain degree. The the philosophies of the original franchise we really believed in, and a lot of those have stuck. So, you know, like the money that we paid, I guess, during our franchising journey has, you know, we've got some tangible benefits out of it. There's no, no two ways about that. But I think when it's yours and, you know, my wife and I, are very similar in that regard. That the business is built around us, and it's a it's about our personality, and it's very much uh, you know sort of lives and breathes the way we we feel about business and how we want to treat people and those sorts of things. Tell us how so, that shines through. That's really interesting. So it's beautiful to build a business that is reflective of who you are, you know, because then you, you don't have to try so hard, right? So how does the branding office reflect you and your wife? Uh, well, I mean, I, I say to our staff, you know, we work really hard to get someone to come to the front door and come into our business. And, and all we need to do is when that person comes in the door is to match their expectations. So their expectations, I think, when they're coming to us is we're going to buy some fun stuff, we're going to get our business branded or we're going to look at a new project or whatever it might be. So they're coming in, they're, they're effervescent, they're up. And if we can match that by being present, and when I say being present, you know, looking someone in the eye and understanding what they're saying and, and actually listening. So being present, one of our sayings is we act with simplicity, you know, and if we can do all of those things, and that's very much how Jode and I are, we just need to listen, then that personality rubs off. The person then has had their expectations met and nine times out of the 10, you're halfway there to getting them as a customer. There's two things there. One is I love the fact that you have insight and acknowledge how your customers are feeling when they get to your front door, whether that be at your website or, or at your show in your showrooms because they are, they're excited. So you need to yeah. play to that and have fun with it and continue it, uh, build on it. The, the other thing, we act, on sim- we act with simplicity. What do you mean by that? When we lose jobs, it's traditionally because we've overcomplicated things. Um, so our catch cry is we act with certainty and simplicity. So the certainty obviously is that is that we know what we're doing, so we're experts. So when we sort of say something to a client, we're actually telling them we actually know what's going on. And then the simplicity part is simplifying the process. As I said, you know, if we do a quote with 10 products, eight products, uh, you know, lots of different options, I I can tell we're not going to get that job because it's just way too complicated. So when we can bring it back, simplify it, walk the customer through, try and understand what the customer wants, walk them through it and then almost lead them to, you know, leading the horse to water almost, that's when we're at our best. So certainty and simplicity to me is just bringing the business back to fundamentals. It really does simplify our process. I I love that. I want to dig a bit deeper on simplicity because it's really easy 
to be complicated, I reckon. Um, I, you've used the example before. When it comes to writing marketing copy or writing any copy, it's actually really easy to be verbose. It's hard to strip it back and cut to the chase. And I think there is maybe there's ego involved there where, you know, when you deliver a report or a slide deck, it's got to pass the weight test. And I use that in inverted commas. And I think it's bullshit, you know. I think simplicity is such a beautiful thing. Clearly, it's just part of the way you do business. But I'm just wondering, what can you share with other business owners about introducing simplicity into the business and not having to feel as though you have to, it has to be a big report or provide heaps of options to a client? You know, just to go back on what you said, I mean, don't baffle them with bullshit and, and don't overcomplicate it. Don't clutter what you're trying to do. Our understanding with a customer, when a customer comes in, the process is understand what they want to achieve with their products. When do they want them? So that, that has a fair bit to do with what we do. And, you know, sort of what price point do they want? Now, if we can get those three things off them, then that makes our job so much easier because I can go back and say, well, look, here's good, better, best, you know, so I can show them some pricing, but not on 100 products, on three or four products that are really, you know, up their alley. I know that they're going to buy that. And I can show them the most expensive one. I can show them the middle of the road one and I can show them, you know, the cheaper version. But it's easy then to have that conversation because because everybody gets that. And, you know, we, in our game, there's lots of different products, lots of different decoration styles, lots of price points in the marketplace. So to get through all of that is just to bring it back to absolute basics. And, and that's what we do. And anyone that's in one of our sort of hot seats, so like, you know, that, that first person on the phone or a, a rep or something like that, that, that's what we try and drill into them is that, Let's just get the, the fundamentals off the client that we need and then keep it simple along those lines. I think the big question there is asking a client or a prospect, what does success look like to you? And then work backwards from there. Because then you're not going to give them things that they don't want. You're not going to answer questions they don't need the answers to. They're not even asking. So what does success like look like to you? Or what questions are you asking? so that we can go about solving them. What problems do you have? And then, you know, you can strip it back and focus on what's important to them. Yeah. Well, someone comes into our showroom and they're selling $100,000 cars, we're not going to give them a plastic pen. And, you know, if you don't ask that question, like, what do you want to achieve with this? Are you rewarding somebody that spent $100,000 with you or do you want a cheap giveaway? That They change the conversation dramatically in our business. So you don't need to, um, you know, absolutely nail someone with 100 questions. It's, in our world, it's really simple. What do you want to achieve? What are we trying to achieve here? I'm interested in the structure of the branding office business. Uh, you sell merchandise corporate promotional merchandise, you have an online store and you have two showrooms, both on the Sunshine Coast. This fascinates me. Seems like an incredible expense. Uh, It would appear that if you've got two showrooms in one geographical area, which isn't that big an area, you're only interested, therefore, in local business, whereas to me, a business like yours is at least national, if not able to service the Australasian region. So, yeah, why, why two showrooms? Why the expense? Okay, so when we did our franchise, um, our territory was Noosa. So uh, clearly that's why we're, we're in Noosa. And 
We've been in business in Noosa, which, you know, is a small community, as I said before. We've been there, obviously, eight years now. Once we got out of the franchise, we knew where we needed to be. We needed to be down the other end of the Sunshine Coast, which is much bigger. We, we had lots of national clients, lots of clients in Brisbane, lots of clients in Sydney. We do all of the merchandise for a, a really large um, real estate chain in Australia and New Zealand. So we have overseas clients. So we, we were all of that out of Noosa. But we knew we were missing stuff on the Sunshine Coast in general because, you know, Noosa's... Um, it's one of those places, isn't it? It's a little bit parochial and, and, and people that are at the... It's a country town. It's a country town yeah. on the beach with a population of, I think, I want to say 20,000. It might not be that. It's it's not massive, um, not a massive business hub either, but we've built a business there. So we thought, well, so we always wanted to do something down the other end of the coast. COVID allowed an opportunity for us to go into a key site on the Sunshine Coast that we really wanted to be in, um, you know, and it had been sitting here, so there was lots of opportunities around that, so we were able to do that. Now, the funny thing is, is that it's actually created this little perfect storm for us, so the showroom has allowed a launch pad that we haven't, you know, we didn't expect and we, we thought it would do well, but it's done incredibly well, just because now the brand, you know, you talk about getting your brand out there, you know, we're on a main thoroughfare, we're all of a sudden where we've been working really hard to get our brand out in front of people, people are now coming to us, and so it's been quite remarkable. But how does that help? That, that's great. So you now it, it exposes your business to uh, many more people on the Sunshine Coast. But again, not a massive area. It's a, it's big enough. It, it, clearly, it's it served served you well. But how does having a showroom, a bricks and mortar showroom, in fact, two, help you get a car client in Melbourne or a real estate client in New Zealand? There's lots of buyers out there and some buyers are really happy to buy online and we've noticed um, since COVID our online sales have gone through the roof but an online sale with us is not you know hitting the pay now button on your website. I mean we do have that facility on our website but a, a, an online sale for us is maybe three or four emails and three or four phone calls and back and forth on artwork. You know, it's sort of a, you still need to make a connection with that client. They may have found you electronically and they may be dealing with you electronically, but you still need to take them through the process. Then there's the clients that do really want to touch and feel and having a showroom is ideal for that because we can bring them in and, you know, sit down and, and it becomes a bit more of an agency experience. You know, what do you want to achieve and show you some options and, you know, and, and really, you know, sit around the the, the, um, the meeting table and have some ideas. So I think what we're trying to do is cater to lots of different people. And what COVID has shown us, in particular with the online stuff, is that people are much more comfortable to do that. So, you know, with clients in Sydney and Melbourne now that are happy to do it online, happy to, with a phone call, that's all they need. And then there's the people that really do want to touch and feel and we're, we're catering to them as well. It looks to me that you are appealing, trying to appeal to everyone. We talk a lot about niching on this show. I love a good niche. You have, looks as though you are appealing to everyone. And it's a business that I guess in the same hour, you might get a phone call from the local sporting club who wants 20, I don't know, T-shirts with their logo on it. And then the next hour, you're going to get a call from a big car brand who has, you know, a job worth a hundred grand. How do you manage those to vastly different clients? Do you give them the same amount of love? Do you try and bump the sporting club to an online purchase? What do you do? Yeah, that's it's really interesting. So we, um, we I love when you talk about niching because it's actually changed our philosophy a little bit, some of the podcasts you've done on it, because we are not for everybody. You know, we have people that come in and want one and two 
of items and we just don't do that you know and it's hard to say no to people but it's not what we do and so we need to be upfront with them I think and sort of just have that hey thanks for thinking of us but that's sort of not what we do you should try this um, as far as the local sporting club and you know we will deal with the local lawn mowing man and a, a multinational out of Sydney at the end of the day, they all get the same amount of love because, you know, it, we still have to go through a process. We still have to quote. We still have to show them some options. We still have to go through the artwork process so that it's all the same amount of love. You're making a lot less dough on Mr Lawnmower. Yeah, you are, but he's going to probably go and tell 10 or, you know, 12 people where he got his Correct. gear from and you never know what that's going to lead to. You know, small fish are sweet and you just never, never know. You know, you're going to be sharper on the... If you're dealing with the big multinational out of Sydney, you're going to be a lot sharper uh, on price. You know, margin's probably not going to be as high. Yeah, sure, it's probably going to be a, maybe an easier process. Sometimes it's not, but nine times out of ten it is an easier process because they've bought that sort of quantity before they understand the process. But, you know, yeah, small, small fish are sweet. Don't, don't say no to those. Oh, I love that. Is that a new quote that you just came up with in talking? Or have you, no, is that something you've been running with? Is, someone told me that many, many years ago, and it's, it is true, and you, you run that test. We had a fellow on, I'm going to say maybe six to 12 months ago, he has the biggest lawn mowing, fran- uh, the biggest lawn mowing business in Tennessee in America. I don't know whether you listened to the episode. But I did. $10 million lawn mowing business, right? And I think he'd gone on to create the Uber for lawn mowing specialists. Um, Putting that aside, I loved how he'd built his business originally because he was just mowing lawns in his local area in houses. um, And he happened to one day mow the lawn of a McDonald's franchisee. And he asked the question, can I do the lawns at your McDonald's and at your McDonald's restaurant? He said, yeah, the guy said, yes. This guy did such a good job. So right now, it's a relatively small fish. It's just one McDonald's store. But he did such a good job and he picked up the cigarette butts in the drive through and he did the lawns and he just went that extra mile. So the next thing he knows, he's getting referrals into other McDonald's franchisees all around Tennessee. And the next thing you know, he's got a $10 million lawn mowing business. Small fish are sweet. I'll tell you a story. I used that um, podcast. A, a guy came in. He was a startup lawnmower man. And I told him about your podcast. And I said, Thank you. The, 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 the guy that, um, that you talked to, he started to, he, basically, his idea wasn't it to own his area. And I explained that to this guy that, you know, just go and own your area to start with. And uh, he did some pens and um, some magnets. He rang me the other day. He said, hey, listen, I got my first job from it. So thanks. But it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, be really good at what you do, own that person. For us, if that lawnmower man comes in, own him. He might not spend any more than $1,000 with us, but own him, treat him well, and you just never know what's going to come from that. Couldn't agree more. The branding office, Justin, um, obviously, you know, you market yourselves. What's the most effective way for you to attract a new client into the business? We 100% believe in the power of promotional products, Tim. So we do use promotional <laughs> products. Uh, we have I don't a, know why, but anyway, you can explain no. that to me later. <laughs> we, um, we have a catalogue, a, a, a nice catalogue, so a catalogue that doesn't get thrown out. That's uh, a really key tool for us. Um, a printed catalogue? Yes, we do. And I we, love a bit of old school. Yeah, we walk into, into – our call, cold calling is walking into a business and saying, hey, listen, here's our new catalogue. Um, thought you might like it. You know, never know when you might be looking for some ideas, um, keep this one. And I normally have some, you know, branded confectionery or something and say, hey, listen, here's a sugar hit for the day as well. And that's our cold call. And that, you will go out and spend an hour doing that and come back in and you'll have quotes. It's quite remarkable. Is that literally just knocking on businesses' doors? Yeah, yeah. 
I like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't. This year has been tough with COVID, but we we actually have built our business on that. To be honest, the other thing that we do, um, and and I love doing this, is we will come up with a database of fifty or a hundred dream clients. So you know, we'll shoot for the stars. You know, we'll. BHP, we'll go for all of them. We'll find a contact and we'll go for it. And we'll send out uh, a promotional product. You know, we did a um, pay it forward campaign where we sent out a reusable coffee cup with a really nice printed card on it and a $5 note and asked them to pay the $5 forward to someone. And that, that, that worked an absolute treat because that's sort of that water cooler stuff. That's that people talking about your brand. And, you know, these people don't didn't know the branding office from a bar. So we do that fairly regularly, but I just, you know, that's old style viral for me. It's like, um, you know, if something goes viral these days, we all applaud, but people talking about your business, that that's what we should all be aiming for. Can I just understand that idea? Because it is a, a little clever idea. So you, a top 100 dream client list. Yep. And some, and some dormant clients. And some dormant clients. Yeah. You send them a reusable coffee mug with their logo on it or just a reusable coffee mug that you sell? No, branded with the branding office, but also on it, I paid it forward. So it was sort of like a reward. And here's the five bucks and here's a handwritten note saying, go and buy someone a coffee next time you're in the line, buy the person behind you a coffee. Yep. Genius. And, and what kind of return do you get on that? Well, we got a, that. That return was the best return probably we've ever had. Um, you know, I think that cost us probably. Let's say it cost us two and a half grand. We drove about twenty five grand's worth of business out of it. We woke up one client that started with a quote of a hundred of the coffee mugs and ended up doing a thousand of them. Now, you know, you don't always get that sort of return immediately. But you do get that people actually understanding who you are and getting a bit of an understanding of you know the soul of the business because you're sort of trying to do something you know good in the in the community. So that was that ticked all of our boxes because it was very much about our brand and very much about promotional products and those sorts of things. But but again, we, whenever we do something, we're trying to get conversation. We're trying to get people to talk about us in in an office where people are making decisions and lo- they use lots of different suppliers. Hey, who gave you that? Oh, that the, the branding office. I haven't heard of them. You know. Let's go and have a look at them. So that's the sort of thing that we're trying to, to drive. You were in an industry, Justin, that potentially it could be a race to the bottom in terms of pricing. It, it's probably a very price-sensitive industry. Uh, how do you avoid that and maintain margin? It is. Um, we don't get price-shopped often. If we do get price-shopped, you can normally feel it. You get the sense of what's going on. We, do, we won't match pricing. Like, like if someone says to me, hey – We've got this quote, and it's an, it's an apples for apples quote, and I'm a mile away. I'll just say, listen, that's a great price. You should take it. Because that client is probably not for us. We want somebody that's, um, you know, that trusts what we're doing, sees some value in that, and is prepared to pay for that. Now, you can't be ridiculous about it. Obviously, you've got to match the market. But I think if you hold steady, um, it's a conversation we're having all the time because you don't want to miss out on business. But you also, you know, I've got a value. My wife's got a value. My team have got a value. That doesn't come for free. And so you hope that everything you've put in place along the, that, that path that the, the client goes, the, the, the price becomes irrelevant, to be honest. That's what, we, that's what we're working towards. I'll add to your answer. Um, I, looking at you, we've got we're doing this interview over Zoom, but you're in your showroom. You have wonderful branded uniform, uh, uh, an impressive office. Um, everything's on brand. You're very strong on visual brand, and I think what you're probably doing subconsciously, you'd be aware of it, but subconsciously for your prospects is putting forward a show of strength. I mean, you you know, 
you look trusted. You look as though you know what you're doing. And um, I reckon there'd be probably a whole lot of two-bit operators in your industry that are operating on price and, you know, won't be around for very long. You'll be around for a long time, all being well. Well, you see you, you do, you do, see it and you, you go, well, the, the, how can you make, be making any money out of that? I mean, I know what they buy it for. It's the same supplier that I'm buying it off. It's the, exactly, you know, I, I know what their margins are going to be. Um, and, and you're right, when things do go wrong, we fix them. Now, not everyone is like that. So, you know, sometimes things do go wrong in our industry because there's a lot of variables and, uh, you know, what someone thinks they're going to get and what they get might be different. Now, if we haven't managed that process properly, you know, we've got to make sure we fix it at the end. So there's lots of that. What are your top three sellers? You're going to hate this, but pens, um, stubby coolers and coffee mugs. <laughs> oh, did someone say landfill? <laughs> I, every time you talk about um, promo products on your podcast, I can hear your voice trail off. And so <laughs> I must admit, I um, sometimes, you know, my, I clinch the wheel when I'm driving, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, yeah. please talk it up, Tim. Please talk if, it up. If he was here, I'd get him in a headlock. <laughs> well, I'm, hey, listen here, brother. I'm here to be convinced otherwise. But, you know, your top three sellers haven't left me feeling inspired. <laughs> you said to me the other day, promotional merchandise has evolved. What, a better pen? A better stubby cooler? That drink bottle behind you, they smell. They smell of some weird PVC and I'll never drink out of them. I don't, and and look, I'm being half facetious, I'm being half serious and I'm being open to being convinced otherwise. Um, I don't need anything that, any, any promotional item I have been given, I have never treasured. I have never raced home and said to my kids, get a load of this. We've got another stress ball. We've got another Rubik's Cube with my logo on it. Um, who wants the coffee mug with the, you know, like, so, you know, how? What, what's going What am I missing? Um, well, I... I- I, I mean, you've had a bad experience, clearly, but um, you know I think I'm going, to, I'm going to do your own merchandise range, and I'm going to show you the power yeah. of your own merchandise range. Um, you know, you, you say on your show, you say, "Hey, grab your friend's phone and go and subscribe to my." What would be better than that than sending someone a really cool coffee mug branded with all your branding, sitting on someone's desk in a you know a big corporate office in Sydney, and someone saying, "Who's that bloke?" and allowing your fan to have a conversation with their friend about your podcast. It has changed. Um, you know, there's a lot of tech stuff now, a lot of higher-end stuff. We're doing a lot more, you know, retail-quality um, products. So, you know, FlexFit hats now we can get and we can decorate. So, you know, so the stock hat has changed from something you just buy off the shelf to something that you would see in a retail shop. A lot of retail brands are allowing us to buy wholesale to decorate. So there's a lot of that sort of happening. But, again, you know, um, it's a matching the product to what you're trying to achieve. We've got a client who sells GPSs into big mining companies. They go on trucks and they're they're a big spend. But they're really big. I had a conversation with the owner about this because he's really big on the opening experience. So, like, they do um, custom boxes that the products come in. But he'll always put a gift in the box, jelly beans, a pen, whatever it might be. And he said that the CEO of one of the companies called him the other day and said, oh, it's now become this thing when the box arrives with the new GPS for the new truck, you know, the, the fitter and the mechanics who open the box all stand around to see what it is. You know, that, that's really powerful because it's a massive spend that the company is making, but from the fitter and the mechanic right through to the CEO, they're all hooked now. They're on, they're on the bandwagon. The product's good. We know that they sell a good product. But now just through the power of those promotional products, there's some sort of connection 
from everyone in business. So that's sort of the value of it. I, I appreciate that you take a stress ball home and no one gets a kick out of it, but if we find the right product for you that we can make a connection and someone to have a conversation, then it works. If, I mean, if you're not, and to be honest, if you're not using in this day and age where people are going back to that, um, you know, old style feeling, if you're not using something to connect with a client, and, and gift giving is the best way to do that, then I think you're just missing a really opportun- big opportunity. I, I certainly buy that. And maybe I have had bad experiences. Like I said, you know, like on reflection, I've just never, ever been given a, a piece of merchandise that I've fallen in love with and I treasure and I hold on to and, you know, put in the top drawer for keepsake. Um, and I also go to, you know, having spoken at so many conferences over the years, you go into the expo hall and I don't know, I feel uh, there is there is this sort of sense of landfill. There is this sense of... Boys, girls, be creative. They're all, it's either stress balls, key rings, stubby coolers, water bottles, coffee mugs. And I love creativity. And I love, a, you know, point of difference in business is everything. And I don't see it enough. I, I absolutely buy what you just said, which is, you know, understand what the client need is, understand the brand and give them something that is on brand and that does create a point of difference for them. But I don't, I don't see it enough. Mm, yeah, and look, I mean, uh, you know, if you if you go to a conference um, and walk the floor, you, you you do you see all the same sort of products, and and I wonder if they're the the products that are you know winning for those clients. You know, I'd, I'd rather do something maybe you know a little bit more expensive that has a buzz that the people say, hey, where did you get that from? You know, something to talk to a lanyard that looks really funky and cool. Hey, where did you get that from? That drives people to the booth that then gets you know you to have more conversations with people. Just having a whole heap of pens there, I yeah, I totally agree. You know. We we did some um, like mints the other day. They're not, they're not mints. They're like an old. They're like a lifesaver for a plumber. And we put the branding. So he's got his own branding. But then we put on there block drain suck. And Brilliant. he. he he just said to me, he said, you know, that is just such a great icebreaker for me. When I go into someone, right. I can have a conversation because I've given them that price isn't a worry anymore. We're having a different conversation. We're having fun. And, and so that to me is what our products can deliver. Clever. I love that. That's just really simple, clever, memorable, on brand, tick. Okay, I'm a little bit closer now to embracing <laughs> your industry. You're going to get me. We're going to do. We're going to do your own range. I'm telling you. Okay. Uh, there's so much pressure on me to do that now because it's like <laughs> clearly I've made I've made it clear that I'm not a massive fan of merchandise. Having said that, I would like a merchandise range as long as I was proud of it and like the plumber should be very proud of those mints. So if and when I do it, it will need to have an idea and not just my ugly mug plastered over a mug or my logo put over a, you know, big pen or something. I don't know. I wouldn't mind a snow dome that snows over me. Can we do a snow dome? (laughs) Can do a snow day. Like we're, definitely, we're definitely going to do the uh, the, the, the Timbo Reed uh, trucker for sure and certain. I, I mean, I'd wear that. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, we will keep talking about that because I, I will. I'm always open to it. Um, you must have um, just to finish, finish up. You must have made a fair bit of dough. Were you around? Was the branding office around when those spinning? Was it the spinning top? Yeah. Yeah, the fidget spinners. The fidget spinner. What, what's the next fidget spinner for your industry? Is, is there one on the horizon? 
I really wish I knew because uh, that was short and sharp and uh, there's lots of people that have got fidget spinners now. Well, the, the, the product this year was hand sanitizer. I, who would have thought we'd sell so much hand sanitizer this year? But, um, yeah, look, I, you'd love to know what the, the next big product is. The, the interesting thing in our industry is that COVID has, you know, affected the supply chain a touch. So there sort of hasn't been a lot of new stuff this year. It's just been making sure you can get what you, you know, your staple diet has been. But um, yeah, the, the old fidget spinner, it came and went very, very quickly. Well, Justin Vivas of the Branding Office, I've, I've really enjoyed our chat, mate. Thank you. With all respect, you know, I'm not to, I'm not trying to cane your business or your industry, but I am always open to being convinced and having my mind changed. There are a lot of business owners listening, so I am going to encourage them to check out thebrandingoffice.com.au. But if you do make contact with Justin, first of all, tell him you heard him on this show, but secondly, give him a very clear brief. I imagine you'll extract a good brief, Justin, but... We will. Don't just ring up and say, give us some coffee mugs with my logo on it. Be smart. Be be plump, Be like your plumber. I like him. Yeah, the, the plumber's good. So just as long as we've changed your mind enough, Timbo, that I don't get cranky when I'm driving along when you talk about <laughs> promo products. Justin Vivas of thebrandingoffice.com.au. Thanks for joining us on the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Been a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Well, there you go, team. The branding officer's Justin Vivas, who you'll find at thebrandingoffice.com.au. Now, if you end up getting a bit of merch from him, and I reckon you should, give it a go. Send me an email and show me that sexy coffee mug or amazing stress ball that you've put your brand on. Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Justin. Attention grabber number one. I loved his quote around small fish being sweet. Very true. As a small business owner, it can be easy to ignore the smaller clients. But as we talked about, those small clients can quickly become big ones and you never know who they know as well. Attention grabber number two. I love Justin's idea around creating a list of his top 100 clients and approaching them directly with a special gift, a personalised message, not just a message, personalised message, and a $5 note asking them to pay it forward by buying someone else a coffee. I think that's just a lot of fun. It's memorable. It would get talked about. Attention grabber number three. I love Justin's principle around acting with simplicity. Oh, I love simplicity. It's no surprise that when he loses a job, it's because they've tried to overcomplicate things. Like he said, avoid baffling them with bullshit. Great quote there by Justin. That's what caught my attention. I would love to know what grabbed yours. Call me on 0480-015-150 and leave me just a little message saying, hey, Timbo, here's an idea I picked up. I'd love that. That's the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline, if you didn't know. 0480-015-150. Hey, Timbo. It's Kat from True Health Osteopathy. I just wanted to say how much your podcast has already done for me. I stumbled upon it after ditching a pretty complicated marketing audiobook that made no sense to me. And I basically haven't looked back since. As somebody who's pretty green to the business world, the you're keeping me pretty motivated. I do have you in the back of my mind every day as I uh, come home. As I just, I just got home from one of my three jobs, two of which are about an hour away from where I live. So yeah, I'm really starting to wonder if I need to drop at least one of those jobs and really wholeheartedly get into it. But you've already done so much for me and I just wanted to say thanks for that. Shout out to um, Cameron Bell that I met through the 
tribe on the Facebook group who spent two hours, two hours with me going through over Zoom my website and just talked me through what things work, what things don't. Um, and he got me to push that publish button and finally get everything rolling. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say a big shout out to you. And hopefully the next time you hear from me, I'll only be working one job and that one job will be for me. Thanks a lot, Timbo. Talk to you later. Kat, you are a rock star. You are the reason I've been doing this podcast for 12 years now. Seriously, like I have a lump in my throat hearing a message like that. God, I wish you so much success. Uh, three jobs, two of which are like over an hour away. I can't tell you to quit, but my experience and having spoken to over 530 successful business owners is when they focus on the one thing, everything else falls into place. So the quicker you can do it, cash flow allowing, the better. But find a little bit of risk taking in there as well. And what a great place the small business big marketing tribe is. The the fact that tribe member Cameron Bell has spent that much time with you. Um, I don't know. Us small business owners, you small business owners, you are just awesome people. You're giving, you're caring, and the good ones want to see their peers succeed. Kat, you're ace. Thank you so much, everyone. You're also ace, but you're not as ace as Kat because you haven't rung me yet. 0480015150. And leave me a message. Tell me an idea that's working for you or whatever. I would love to hear from you. Next episode, we catch up with a small business hero of mine, Andy Falshaw, who is the founder of Bellroy Wallets. It is a brand that I have loved and looked at for many, many years, and I'm so excited to be finally talking to him. A little bit of fanboying going on during that interview, I will warn you. Plus, I recently had a chat with Jeff Bezos's shadow, who's written a book called Working Backwards, which outlines how the Amazon idea creation process works. That is fascinating too. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, be sure to join the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, like Cat has, like 780 other members have so far, listeners have so far. It's free. It's a good place to share your ideas, push each other along, get a bit of motivation from your small business owning colleagues around the world. If you've got something to tell me, call the hotline. Go on, I dare you just to promote your business, 0480015150. Just tell me a marketing idea that's working for you or an episode that you've loved and why you've loved it. I really would love to hear from you. If you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, then you will find 534 more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app. Download it and subscribe to this show immediately. As has been the case for the past 12 years, this podcast is presented by me, Timbo Reid, and pieced together by the A-Team over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.